So that'll be December the 9th, uh, our Star Trip Christmas uh, program. And you'll see a little, some, uh, some uh, foreshadowing of that next Sunday morning as well before we have that. So, uh, so be sure and invite people to come. If you're involved in the Christmas program, you have a, need a costume or whatever, need fitted for that, I think Margaret Feltz needs to see you right after the service this morning. So be sure and see Margaret Feltz. If you're not sure if that involves you or not, see Mark and Cindy, and uh, they'll let you know. All right, so we're looking forward to that as well. I think that's all the announcements I'm supposed to share this morning. If you're not, that's too bad. So I'm going to ask Earl... Lawrence to come this morning. He's going to read some scripture and pray for us. And as he's coming, we're doing our service, order of service a little different again this morning. After he comes, we're going to have our offering. So ushers, are you listening? Ushers, be ready to come up and do the offering here in just a moment. And uh, after Earl prays, and then the Lord's Supper, we'll have that following our, our singing time before I preach this morning. So Earl, come and read that for us and pray for us this morning. No, how's this? I'm reading from Isaiah 53, 4-6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for her transgressions. He was bruised from our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like... All we like sheep have got, gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid his, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let's pray. Lord, we humble ourselves before you. You represent all things holy and good. We have gone astray so often in our lives, believing that we know better than you do. Fortunately, you do not hold our foolishness against us. We praise you for your immense love, grace, patience, and forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. This time we're going to ask our deacons that are helping with the Lord's Supper this morning. If you deacons would come on to the front. And as they're coming and being seated, I'd ask you to look in your bulletin if you receive one this morning. And on the back of the sermon outline, there's a copy of our church covenant. And as we're seated this morning, we're just, I'm just going to help us read through this together. Our church covenant is simply a document summarizing what we believe the Bible uh, commands of us as believers. We are commanded to live holy lives. And this is a statement, this covenant is a statement of our commitments that we have before one another. Uh, as church members, for those of you that are members of this church, we've committed ourselves to one another to live the Christian life together. And the last several sermons in the past few months has been a, about our life together as a church. So our church covenant is an expression of our covenant commitments together before God and one another. We're going to read these right now. And so especially if you're a member of this church, I invite you, if you have a copy of this, to read it along with me. And if you're not, you still want to read it, you can. But let us be reminded right now of who we are as a church and what we've committed to one another to do. Read along with me if you would. Having been led, as we believe, by the Spirit of God to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, and on the profession of our faith, having been baptized by immersion in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we do now in the presence of God in this assembly, most solemnly and joyfully, enter into covenant with one another as one body in Christ. We engage, therefore, 
by the aid of the Holy Spirit, to walk together in Christian love, to strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, and comfort, to promote its prosperity and spirituality, to sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines, to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, and the relief of the poor, and to the spreading of the gospel through all nations. We also engage to maintain family and private devotions, to religiously educate our children, to seek the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances, to walk circumspectly in the world, to be just in our dealings, faithful in our engagements, and exemplary in our conduct, and to be zealous in our efforts to advance the kingdom of our Savior. We further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember one another in prayer, to aid one another in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy and feeling and Christian courtesy and speech, to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the rules of our Savior to secure it without delay. We moreover engage that when we remove from this place, we will, as soon as possible, unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principle of God's Word. Matthew chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible underneath the chair you're sitting in or close to you. Matthew chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we honor God in reading His Word together. When He came down from the mountain... Great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Verse 7. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 13. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Verse 18. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. 
And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me go first, first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Verse 24. And behold, there, was a great, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Verse 28, When he came to the other side of the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tomb so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs were feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out and send us away into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep. So they came out and went to the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and drowned into the waters. Verse 33. The herdsmen fled and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw Him, they begged Him to leave their region. Let's pray together. Our Father, we bow right now and we ask that You would please help us understand what You have revealed to us about Yourself right here in Your Word, about Your authority, Your authority over all things. Help us, Father, to know how to respond to that and how to live under that and to rejoice in it, and to rest in it. Lord, I pray that the understanding of who You are might be granted to those who do not yet believe, even those who may be in this room right now or listening to this message. Father, glorify Your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, I'm glad to tell you that Tim Laswell, our minister of music, is home now. He is, thank you very much, he's home, uh, but he's still not 100% by any means at all and, and is waiting for his uh, appendix to be uh, issues to be addressed again. But uh, t- Caitlin is certainly glad to see you here this morning. Now, last week, uh, my son and I, and Josiah and I went to go see Tim. And when you go into the hospital, at Good Samaritan Hospital in the Vincennes, there's these revolving doors and that revolve around, and you have to, you know, don't push the door, but wait and get in time it right where you get in. And I don't like those doors. You know what I'm talking about? And so I was walking briskly ahead of my son, and I walked on, and the door was open, so I walked, and the door began to move, and my son was trailing behind, and he saw an opening, so he thought he would try to go through that opening, but he didn't quite make it. And so the door just hung on him, hung on his shoulder, and he was there like this with the door stuck and the lady behind us grinning from ear to ear and his face turning just a little bit, a shade of red maybe. And so he thought that that for that brief moment that he had the authority to go through that door and because he did not, uh, he had to look a little bit foolish for a moment. But of course, I come and helped him out. Now, when it comes to authority... To have to do something, we have to have credentials. If you know someone who claims to be a police officer, then you're going to expect to see their badge. If you want a doctor working on you, like a young man I talked to last week, uh, Caleb, 
over here uh, getting ready to study to be a doctor. There's a lot of credentials and degrees he's going to have to earn to be a doctor because if you want someone working on you, you want them to know what, what they're doing. So those credentials to show they have the authority to do this will be hanging up on their wall someday showing that they have this. Certifications, other things, if lawyers are going to be representing you, you want them to prove that they have the authority to do these things so you can respond appropriately. Jesus has all authority. Amen? And Jesus came when He preached the gospel. He preached, repent. When He said repent, He was saying, turn around. Stop what you're doing. Now, does anybody want to be told to stop what they're doing and turn around? I mean, rebels don't want to be told what to do, and every single one of us are. And Jesus came and He said, stop what you're doing. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn around and follow me. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And guess what? I'm the king, Jesus was saying. He's the Savior. He's the Messiah. The one that Christmas is all about. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Follow me. I'm the king. Now, if you're going to stop what you're doing and you're a rebel, and you're going to turn around and you're going to follow this man who claims to be the king of kings that's came down out of heaven, you've got to be convinced that he has the authority to preach that message and to do what he says he's going to do. So how is it that Jesus shows that he has authority? Well, in the Sermon on the Mount that we went through for several months this past year, in Matthew chapter 5-7, through 7, Jesus shows he has authority by the words that he speaks. Look at the last verse of Matthew chapter 7, maybe the last two verses of chapter 7. Are you looking at your Bible? Verse 28. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at what? At his miracles? What were they astonished at? They were astonished at his teaching, the words that he was saying. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. They'd not heard anybody teach like this before, who claimed to be fulfilling the law and not abolishing at the same time and clarifying the intent of the law and saying that it's all fulfilled in him. He was teaching with authority. He was showing that he has all authority by the very words that he spoke up on the mountain. But then he came down from the mountain and he proved his authority by his works. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. Notice what it says. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And so what you have in chapter 8, beginning with verse 2 through chapter 9, is you have a series of miracles that Jesus does, works that Jesus does to show and prove His authority. So He's preached showing His authority by His words. And they're marveling at it. There's no question. They've never heard anybody teach like this man before. But now He comes down from the mountain and He proves His authority. And so what Matthew has done in chapter 8 and 9 is he's arranged the observation of these miracles that's taken place. They're not necessarily arranged chronologically, but they're arranged in chapter 8 and 9 to show us Jesus has this authority. He's proved it by His words. He's proven it by His works now. It authenticates the message that He's preached. And so what we see in chapter 8 that we're looking at for this, this morning, in verses 2 through 4, He says to the leper, be clean. And guess what? He's clean. Then He says to the Roman centurion, Go home, because your servant's healed. And he goes home, and he's healed. He says to Peter's mother-in-law, who's laying sick in a bed, Get up! And she gets up, and she's healed. He says to the, to the storm that's raging, and the disciples are afraid, he says, Shut up! And it shuts up. And he says to demons that are possessed in, possessing men, he says, Get out! And they get out! Because he has all authority. 
That's what we're supposed to be seeing the big picture of this. This Jesus Christ is not just talking. He's doing. He's the King. He's God in the flesh. Come down out of heaven and we need to repent and follow Him. When we recognize authority, it requires an appropriate response. When I was in the military, being under authority, going through basic training, we had drill sergeants there in basic training. And so sometimes a drill sergeant, if you messed up, and that happened to me a few times, he'd say, Private, Private Frills, beat your face. Now, he didn't mean beat your face with your fist. All right? What that meant was you're supposed to get down in the front lean and rest position is what they called it. You're supposed to do push-ups until he said stop. And then when you got done, you're supposed to say, Drill Sergeant, Private Frills request to speak. Speak, Private. Private Frills wants to thank you for conditioning my mind, heart, body, and soul. Feel free to do so at any time. Get up, Private. That's what you're supposed to do. You recognize authority. You responded. You didn't say to the Drill Sergeant, when you recognized his authority, and he said, Beat your face, Private. You, just, you didn't say to him, I don't want to beat my face. I don't want to do push-ups. You'd be sorry if you did that. You recognize authority and brother, you did it. Whether you wanted to or not. That was the appropriate response. When we recognize the authority of Jesus, we must respond appropriately. And this is the message. If you're convinced that Jesus has all authority, you must respond with loyalty. You must respond with loyalty to Him. Following Him, turning to Him as King and being loyal to Him alone. So there's four critical facts from Matthew chapter 8 I want to share with you about Jesus' authority as the promised Messiah, the King that comes. Four critical facts that inform us how we must respond with complete loyalty to Him. Number one, Jesus exercises His authority According to His will. Jesus exercises His authority according to His will. So there's the story of the leper in verses 2 through 4. He meets the leper, and we know about perhaps some about leprosy and how uh, that could cause your skin to peel. It may not, but it could cause your skin to peel or even limbs to, to be deformed and maybe even something fall off. And so Jesus, uh, in the Old Testament, if you had leprosy, then you weren't allowed to live in the camp. You had to go outside the camp. And I was sharing this with my kids last night, and one of them said, yeah. And you had to go around saying, I'm a leper, I'm a leper, I'm a leper. And I laughed, and I said, no, you didn't say that, but I'm glad you're remembering something here. You had to go around saying, unclean, unclean, unclean. So if somebody got close to you that wasn't a leper, you had to warn them, unclean, unclean, unclean. What a life to have had to have lived as a leper. And you certainly wouldn't want to put your hand on them because you could, just by contact, you could be ceremonially unclean or you could even contract, if it was contagious, their form of leprosy. So, here's this leper comes and kneels before Jesus in verse 2. And what does he say to Jesus? He says, if you will, you can make me clean. If you will. Here's the thing, folks. Number one. Jesus exercises His authority according to His will. The leper knows that Jesus is able to do this. He just doesn't know if Jesus will do it. He recognizes Jesus' authority, but He's not naming it and claiming it here. He's saying, if you will, make me clean. And Jesus says in the next verse what? I will be clean. And He 
God, the Son, who says, put him outside the camp if they got leprosy, takes his hand in the incarnation and puts it on this leper in an act of compassion and restores him to cleanness and heals him. The question is not whether or not he has the ability, if you believe in his authority, it's will he do it? And I think it's important for us to understand this morning as believers, if we're going to have a healthy, balanced understanding of who God is as we live, live life and we encounter suffering and problems, He's able to do it, whatever it is you ask. But will He do it? He may choose to and He may not to. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if possible, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Paul prays three times about a thorn in the flesh. And the Lord says, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. You're going to keep that thorn. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, Our God, who is over all, is able to deliver us from this burning, fiery furnace. And He will, He will do it. But if He does not do it, Know this, we're not going to bow down. So they know God's able to deliver. But they don't know for sure that He will. They're confident that He's going to, but they don't know for sure. But either the way, they're going to trust in Him. And here's the question for us under this point number one. Jesus exercises His authority according to His will. The question for us is, will you trust Him? Will you trust Him? It's not saying hocus pocus. It's not saying the right prayer, the right words, or getting all this just right. It's not. It's, it's, it's Him. Will you trust Him? Is He proven Himself trustworthy? Will you trust Him who can do all things no matter what the problems going on in your life? Will you trust Him to either remove whatever's going on or repair or mend whatever's going on? Or will you trust Him to sustain you like Paul, well, like He told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is perfect in weakness, that He's sanctifying you and making you more like yourself and glorifying Himself even though you can't understand it? Can't wrap your mind around it? Will you trust Him? Will you trust Him? So, friend, I'm going to ask us again this morning. You're struggling in the midst of some hard things right now you'd like to see just stop or change. Is Jesus trustworthy? Is Jesus trustworthy? You know He is. Because you know what He was born to do, right? He's born to die. You know He loves you. Number two, Jesus proves His authority by speaking a word. He exercises His authority according to His will, but He proves His authority by speaking a word. Just a word. So there's a story next in verses 5 through 13 about the Roman centurion, this Roman soldier who's a Gentile, by the way. And Jews don't interact with Gentiles very much, especially go to their homes. And so as we read in the text already, here comes this Roman soldier who has authority. He has soldiers under him. He's kind of like a drill sergeant in some way. And he comes to Jesus and says, Jesus... I've got this guy at home, he's my servant, and he's sick. I'm not worthy. And Jesus says, what does Jesus say there in the passage of Scripture? He says, I'll come. You see that in your Bible? He says, in verse 7, he said to him, I'll come and heal him. So Jesus says, I'll come to your Gentile home where it will be unclean for me to come and I will heal him. That's how compassionate our God is. He's showing that there's a, there's a new covenant coming in and they're seeing glimpses of that. And so what happens is the Roman soldier says, you know what? 
I understand the social things going on between Jews and Gentiles. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, to come to my house. You've got all authority, Jesus. I know you can do this if you'll do it. And just like I have soldiers under me, and if I tell them to do something, they're going to do it. Or if I tell a servant, go do this, they're going to do it. Jesus, you have authority over what my servant has. And if you, if you just speak the word, you see that in that verse right there? If you just say the word, Lord, my servant, and this is verse 8, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority. And he goes to that illustration. And what Jesus does, he says, go home. Look in verse 13. I'll come back to these other verses later, Lord willing. But verse 13 says, And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you, for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. So Jesus didn't go to the home. He didn't go down there and lay hands on him or anything. He just says, Go home, your servant's healed. He just gave the word. Jesus next goes to Peter's mother-in-law. And she's sick in bed and he touches her hand and raises her up. And then the Bible says in a summary way, in verse 15 and 16, that he begins to heal other people with, who are demon-possessed or have sickness. But notice what he says in verse 16. Look at your Bible in verse 16. Notice how he does it, verse 16. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and they cast out the spirits with a word. Jesus proves his authority with a word. That's all he's got to do. Who is this? Who is this? Jesus who does these things with just a word. He's the same one who said, let there be light. And it was so with a word. Let there be this. Genesis chapter 1. And it was so. Let there be this. And it was so. Because He has all authority. Because He's not just a man that was born on the earth. He's the man that came down out of heaven. He is God in the flesh. Amen. He has all authority. And He proves His authority by just speaking a word. And what I want to say to you this morning before I move on is this. Tim Lashwell has been incredibly sick. Been over to see the hospital a couple times and he's still not feeling well at home at all. And got, it's got a long road ahead of him. Jesus has authority just by a word to say, Tim, be healed. And He's healed. He's up walking around no more. Jesus can do that right now. I think of our prayer list sometimes, this running prayer list we have as a church family. People ask, you know, people ask you to pray for them. Do you ever kind of feel overwhelmed by that? Well, I hope I remember to pray for them. And this, we get emails from Kevin sometimes, pray for this person in the church family. Sometimes a prayer list can be absolutely overwhelming when we think of our congregation, just look around. And probably every single one of us have some type of issue, problem, trial that we're going through that we need prayer for. And some of us are more aware of that than others, of what each other are going through. And what I'm reminded is, is Jesus has authority over everything on that prayer list. All authority. And just with a word, He can do anything you want Him to do. Just with a word, He can restore marriages. Just with a word, He can save souls. Just with a word, according to His will, He can heal your body. He can do it all. Amen? That's the one we serve. 
All he needs to do is speak the word. So what do we what do we do in response? How do we respond to this aspect of his authority? What do we do? We pray. We don't seek to manipulate him. We just pray. So the question I want to ask you, not only will you trust him this morning to do what he's going to do according to his will, but will you just keep persevering in prayer? Just keep praying. Keep praying and keep trusting him. He's able. And one day when he comes again, it will be done. Amen. So keep trusting him and keep praying. Number three, Jesus uses his authority to overcome the root of our suffering. Jesus uses his authority to overcome the root of our suffering. He's came and he's healing, but he's come to do something much more important than heal our physical bodies. He's come to do something for us much more important to get rid of the Romans. He's come to bring us into his kingdom and get rid of sin that's separating us from him. So this morning I was looking at the Christmas tree and I was thinking, man, look at these gifts and think about the gift that, that Christ has come. He comes and with His, with his coming, he, he says, unwrap this. This is a gift. I've come and I have all authority and I can heal you of, of anything going on in your body. I can mend any relationship. I can save any soul. I can do anything. You just got to trust me. You got to pray and you got to trust me. But He comes with that kind of gift this morning. But there's, a, but there's a greater gift behind that. The reason we have all these problems is because of sin and suffering. The reason I mention that, if you look at it, it's in verse 18, 17. He says, by, by healing these people, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now, some people have taken that and, and said, well... Because Jesus comes and in His atoning sacrifice on the cross, then what happens is is anybody that's ever in His presence is going to be healed. And and if you're not healed of physical illness, it's because you don't have enough faith and you're not believing. And this is where you get into the heretical name and claim it prosperity gospel. Now there is good news here. In His in His coming and in His His coming as King, He does have authority over all disease and all healing and all these things. And we see indications of this as He's healing people here in the Bible, and as He's healing people today and doing miracles in our lives even today. But this verse, verse seventeen, this quote there is from Isaiah fifty three, and Earl read that for us this morning. In Isaiah fifty three verses four through six says, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone, we've turned our own way, and the Lord's laid on Him the iniquity of us all. What, what does the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 come really to do? He comes to get rid of the root of our suffering. The reason there's sickness, the reason there's cancer, the reason, the reason there's problems in our lives, sometimes it's, 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 it's directly a result that we are being punished because of something we've done. That is true. Sometimes it's merely the fact that there's a trial we're going through. And, and God's not punishing us. We live in a sinful, fallen world, and we're going through something bad, and it's not like, it's like Job. I didn't do I don't know what I've done to bring this on, Lord. 
And he hadn't. But it was to make him see something else about God he hadn't seen before and to refine him. And he understands that by the end of the book of Job. Sometimes that's going on. But here's the root of all of it. The root of everything is sin. That's why we suffer. That's why, And he comes to deal with that. Amen? Once and for all. That's the reason when he comes back again, this, it'll all be over. All this suffering and sin we finally done away with. So you look in verse 18. Look at verse 18. And when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side. That's interesting. Most, most preachers want a crowd, don't they? Jesus sees a crowd and he says, let's go to the other side. Then a scribe comes up to him and says, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Really? Look back at verse 4 in your Bible. There's something I didn't cover there. I want you to see it at this point. Verse 4. The first part of it, Jesus said to the man, the leper, He said, Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anybody, but go your show yourself to the priest. Isn't that interesting? You see that several times in Scripture. Jesus says, Don't tell anybody about this. Don't tell anybody about this. A couple reasons that could be the case. One reason is... The more people get told and news about him goes around and it's not yet time for him to be arrested by the Romans, be called a troublemaker by the Jews, go to the cross. His time's not yet at hand. Now, the Scripture actually says those exact words sometimes. The other reason is this. Remember, he, doesn't want, he sees a crowd and so he goes to the other side of the lake. There back in verse 18. Folks, Jesus is not the greatest showman. Jesus is the King of Kings. He didn't come to put on a circus. He came to make disciples, followers of Him. So He's saying, don't go around stirring up people to come and see the latest show that's in town. I didn't come to raise this circus. I want followers. I want people to follow me. So He says, Let's, we don't need to go around talking about all this right now. But he says to this man that says, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. What's he say to him in verse 20? Look at verse 20 in your Bible. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says to him, because Jesus doesn't want a circus. He don't just want a crowd. He wants followers. He says to him, the Son of Man, I don't even have a place to sleep at night. Then he, somebody else comes up to him and says, Lord, I'll follow you ever go. First, let me go bury my father. And that, mean, that may mean the man's father had just died and he wanted to bury him first. Or it could mean, first, let me fulfill my responsibility and take care of my father in his older years. And when he dies, then I'll follow you. And Jesus says, I'll have none of it. You'll follow me right now. It seems almost cruel. Especially if you're really just somebody that just wants a crowd. But he wants disciples. And so what Jesus is saying is this. If you believe that I came to really deal with the root of all suffering, if you really want to follow me, you'll follow me no matter what the cost, which may mean you don't have a place to sleep just like the Son of Man does, and you'll do it right now. You won't, you won't say, well, I got, first I'm going to do this. No. If you believe Jesus is who He says He is, He came to deal with the root of suffering, you'll say, I'll do whatever you want me to do no matter the cost, and Lord, I want to do it right now. No strings attached. So that's the question for us this morning. If I believe Jesus has all authority, my response is, Lord, I want to follow you, whatever the cost, right now. That's the thing we need to ask ourselves right now. Well, how's God at work in your life? What's that mean for you 
as someone who professes to be a follower of Jesus. Will you do whatever He says to do right now? What, what does right now mean for you? What, what does whatever the cost mean in your life right now as a couple or as a family or as an individual? Fourthly and finally, Jesus has all authority because of His identity. Amen? He has all authority because of His identity. A couple of things about this. The disciples, you'll notice, they fail to recognize Jesus' identity. There's a storm brews up. Verse 23, they get into the boat, the disciples follow Him, and there's a great storm, the Bible tells us. You've heard of, a lot of you heard of this since you've been in Sunday school since you are little, right? The storm brews up, and what's Jesus doing? He's not fretting. He's asleep. Asleep. Verse 24. And verse 25 says, They went and woke Him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And He said to them, Why are you afraid, O son, o you of little faith? Don't you realize who's with you? Why are you afraid? And He rebukes the winds and the waves, the sea. And there was a great calm. Can you just picture the scene? Sometimes I think about this when I go out here by the river, by Twin Rivers, and go in the parking lot over there across the road and watch the rivers where the Wabash and the White River come together. And I just think of how he walked upon the water that one time or, or about this scene where, you know, when, the, when it's really windy outside and the waves are whipping up and how he just said, Hush! You know, we say that to our kids sometimes or, or maybe you're in a classroom or for a teacher and we say, Hush! And they just kind of keep on going. I said, Hush! Well, Jesus don't do that. He don't say, hush. I said, winds and waves, hush. No, He just says, peace be still. He don't have to say it more than once because He has all authority. But I want you to notice something in the next verse. Are you looking at your Bible? You're looking at verse 27? The disciples didn't recognize truly His identity yet. The men marveled saying, what sort of man is this? That even the winds and waves obey Him. We've seen people claim to do miracles before. we heard about the prophets. We've never heard anybody just telling the storm to be quiet. And it is. Who is this that even the winds and the sea obey Him? The disciples fail to recognize His identity, but in contrast, notice this. The demons do recognize His identity, don't they? Look at your Bible. Notice what it says in verse 29. There's these two demon-possessed men. They cry out to Him in verse 29, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? I mean, they know who He is. Have you come to torment us before the time? Not only do they recognize His identity, what else do they recognize? Because of His identity, Son of God, they recognize His authority. Do not torment us before the time. They, because of who He is, they know what He can do. And He has authority to torment them Right now, send them straight to hell where they belong because they recognize His identity. And notice what else happens in verse 32. Because they recognize His identity, the demons do, and, they, and therefore His authority over them, they have to obey Him. Look at verse 32 in your Bible. The demons are begging him, cast us out. Don't cast that cast us out in this herd of pigs. Cast us out, send us away in the herd of pigs. They begged him. Verse 31. Don't you like that scene? Demons of hell begging the Son of God. Verse 32. And he said to them, Go! So they came out and went. They obeyed. They didn't have a choice. Just like the winds and the waves hushing up. 
or the leprosy going away from the man, or the centurion's son being healed, or Peter's mother-in-law rising up. Jesus says something, and it happens just with a word. If it's His will, it'll happen just with a word. And they go, and they obey. The demons obey just like the winds and the waves obey, right? Who is this that even the winds and waves obey Him? Here's the thing. Will we obey Him? We who are created in the image of God, will we obey Him? Do we recognize His authority that He is the Son of God come in the flesh? Let me ask you a probing question this morning. If you're convinced of Jesus' authority because you know He's the Son of God, what does obedience look like for you right now? That's similar to the question I asked about following Him. If you believe these things about Jesus... You say, preacher, none of this is really new to me this morning. I believe these things. Praise God. So if you believe these things, what does obedience look like for you right now? What does it look like? What's He telling you to do? You, I mean, you got some New Year's resolution and you say, well, when New Year's gets here, then I'm going to do it. No, what does, what does obedience look like right now that you don't need to put off, you need to do right now? Is it to be baptized? Is it to... Follow the Lord Jesus Christ with your heart and soul. If you're convinced of these things, you will. Is it to talk to that loved one about Christ? To ask for forgiveness from someone? I'm not, it's a host of things. What is it the Lord's telling you to do? You know what? The demons recognize Christmas, don't they? They recognize that Jesus, what's Christmas about? It's about Jesus who's come down out of heaven, the Son of the Incarnation. He's come in the flesh. And so when they see Him, what do they say? They don't say, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. They say, Oh, Son of God, don't torment us before the time. They recognize Christmas, but they don't celebrate it. They recognize this is the Son of God. This is the God overcoming the root of our suffering through His suffering. But God is spirit. The Bible says God is spirit. So what must happen for Him to take care of the root of suffering? He must take on flesh. For God to suffer, He must take on flesh. And so He does. Jesus comes. He's born in a manger. He lives like us. He suffers like us. He's tempted in every way, yet without sin. And He's in the flesh and He suffers incredibly for us. God can't suffer unless He has flesh and Jesus takes on flesh and He suffers. Our Lord Jesus Christ. He was born to die. And through His death and resurrection, He has authority not only over sickness, not only over marital problems, whatever, whatever issue or problem you have this morning that He could say with a word and take care of, He's got authority over that. Listen, He has authority over sin, death, and hell because He was born to die and He did rise again. Amen, church? That's why we meet on the first day of the week because He lives. He's alive. He was raised on the first day of the week. So I'm going to ask you one final question this morning. If you're convinced of Jesus' authority, you must give your loyalty. The pivotal question is, do you believe? Do you believe? I mean, that, that runs throughout the Scripture. It runs throughout this chapter. Do you believe? Jesus says about the centurion's faith, I, I've not found such faith in all of Israel. You remember reading that a while ago? Look back with me in verse, verse uh, 
10, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, this is verse 11, verse 10, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 12, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The issue is faith. Do you believe? So he says to the Roman centurion, look, you're a Gentile, but I'm telling you, I've not seen this kind of faith ever before in a man. And I'm going to tell you that there are people who have Jewish blood going through their veins that are going to go straight to hell. Because they don't believe. That's what he said. That's who the sons of the kingdom are. The sons of the kingdom by, by, by this promise that's made to Israel, but still yet they must be born again, just like Jesus says to Nicodemus. They're not born again. They don't believe that I'm the son of God. They're going to the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this pivotal question, folks, do you believe? The answer to that question says whether or not you're, you are inside or outside the kingdom. That's what Jesus is saying in verses 10 through 12. Do you believe that He is the Son of God? Not like the demons believe. They're not saying joy to the world. They're saying, oh me, we know where we're going. But you believe He's the Son of God and you want to turn and you want to follow Him. Do you believe? And here, here's some wonderful news about the blessing. Because folks, it is a blessing. It's hard being a Christian. It's not going to be a bed of roses. If you're not a Christian, you come to Christ today, He's going to take care of, 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 of the worst thing that could happen to you. Amen, church? And the most wonderful thing that could happen to you this morning is to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm here to tell you, all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I mean, your sin's going to be taken away, but I'm not telling you life's going to get easier here on earth. It may just get harder. If you follow him, he says, the son don't even have a place to lay his head down. You don't even have time to bury your dead. Follow him right now, no matter what the cost is. Jesus has all authority. The good news, the blessing of living in his, under his authority is available to all people. It's available to a leper who's unclean. It's available to the Roman centurion, this Gentile. It's available to the to the, you know, People wouldn't interact, men wouldn't interact with women a lot then. It's available to Peter's mother-in-law. What we're seeing here is people that are socially ostracized for one reason or another, or ceremony or whatever it might be. Jesus says, whoever believes what he's saying, what we're seeing here, whoever believes the blessing of living in my authority is available to them. It don't matter if they're a Gentile or not. It don't matter what they did in their past or not. It don't matter who you are. It just matters who you're believing in. Are you trusting in Jesus? That, the promises, the blessings of this are available to you. If you call upon Him and trust in Him, admit that you're a sinner and trust in Jesus. The only barrier to living under the blessing of the kingdom is unbelief. The sin's been taken care of through Jesus. Are you trusting in Him? Well, Jesus has all authority. And because of that, because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because He lives, I know He holds the future. And life is worth the living just because He lives. Be encouraged. And go and tell somebody about this good news. Let's pray together before we sing. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for who our Lord Jesus is. 
Help us to sense and feel the weight of that, Lord. As we sang this morning, all our hope is in You. All our hope is in You. All our hope is in You, Jesus, Messiah, Father. All our hope is in Him. All our hope for cancer, getting rid of it in our bodies. All our hope for mom and dads being healed in their marriages or for job situations being worked out or bills being paid or, or loved ones being saved. All our hope is in You. You have all authority. We are powerless, God, but You can do all things. God, help us to cry out to You, to continue to pray and trust in You and rest in You. We pray for the one who is here this morning who is not trusted in Jesus as Messiah, as Savior and Lord. God, we pray that they would put all their hope in Jesus Christ for their salvation, even now. We pray for the one that's discouraged this morning. And it's hard for them to hear the word, if it be your will, according to your will. There's a part of us that just wants to to just just to name it and claim it and just say it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And Lord, we believe that you will, but we don't know if you will right now. God, sustain our faith. Give us grace. May your strength be perfect, perfected in our weakness. And you be glorified and us be sanctified as you've planned. We love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together right now. Let's sing this. Let's sing this familiar hymn together. Cause he lives. You come if you want to pray or anything. Sure. 
So glad you're here this morning. We have a wonderful service this morning. I'm going to ask David Saltzgaver, one of our deacons, to close us in prayer. And as he's coming, a couple of things. One, deacons, I just need to have a very brief meeting with the deacons in my office uh, following the service. I'll get there as quick as I can. And um, also, we'll be taking up a benevolence offering following the morning service to help meet needs within our church family especially. So if you want to give to that, there'll be a couple of men standing at the back doors or should be. David, would you close us in prayer? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day that we have to come to worship you, to learn more about you. I pray that you would be with all those that are traveling today through this holiday weekend. I pray that you get them home safely to their families. I pray that you would be with each and every one of us here, that you would be with us as we go out, that we would take your word and share it with others. All these things I ask in your most holy and precious name. Amen. What is the gospel? It all begins with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, to rule over the garden. God told them they could eat from any tree that they wanted to in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything was perfect in the garden. They had a perfect relationship with the land, a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect relationship with God until they chose to rebel against God and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it brought about separation between them and God. Man has always tried to bridge the separation on his own terms and in his own strength.
whether it's building a ladder of morality and trying to be good enough for God, or even in the Old Testament example, when men built a tower into the heavens trying to reach God on their own. A more contemporary example comes from 1961, when the Russians were first successful in sending a man into outer space. Upon returning, the Russian cosmonaut remarked, We have been to space, and we didn't find God or heaven there. A popular professor and author, C.S. Lewis, responded to the Russian cosmonaut. He said that looking for God in outer space is kind of like Hamlet, one of the characters in Shakespeare's plays, looking for Shakespeare in the attic of his home. Lewis said that for Hamlet to have a relationship with Shakespeare, Shakespeare would literally have to write himself into the story. That is the gospel. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Almost 2,000 years ago, the Bible says that Jesus, in fulfillment to Old Testament prophecies, was born of a virgin. Even as a child, he lived a perfect life. At the age of 30, he began his public ministry. He attracted followers. For three years, he taught, he healed, and he made bold claims, such as saying that he alone was the only way to God. The religious and political leaders did not like these teachings. They invoked a riot against Jesus. They brought about false accusations leading to a trial and to a sentencing of death by public crucifixion. The Bible says that while Jesus hung on the cross, that God placed all of the sin of all of mankind on Jesus. Jesus hung on the cross as our substitute. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. They took Jesus down from the cross and they put him in a tomb. They rolled a large stone at the entrance of the tomb so no one could get in or out. There were Roman soldiers who were posted on guard to keep people from coming to take Jesus's body. But on the third day, according to scripture, he rose again. After being seen by many eyewitnesses and giving instruction to his followers, he ascended back into the heaven, where he now sits at the right hand of God and serves as our advocate before the Father. So what does this have to do with you? The Bible says that we have all sinned and that we all fall short of God's standard of holiness. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no way to get rid of the burden of sin on our own. God calls all men everywhere to believe in Christ, repent of sins, and trust Christ to live a new life. As we look back and believe in what God has done through the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection, as we repent and turn from our sins, as we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we have peace with God and the forgiveness of sins. So let's review. It all begins with God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Jesus died in our place for our sins and rose again on the third day. As we believe in Christ, repent from our sins, and trust Jesus for new life, we have peace with God and forgiveness of sins. That is the gospel.